Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope that you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Elizabeth. Now, you know your church is cool when you hear Eric Clapton in worship, right? Thanks, y'all. That was awesome. That was awesome. I love it when we're able to bring secular music or at least the lyrics of secular music into the church so that it resonates and it makes sense. And it's a message, right? The message of God and God's work in the world uh, are universal. They're not restricted to just, uh, you know, the high holy. Um, Happy Easter. Easter. He He is risen. All right, cool. You're still with me. It is still Easter, as uh, uh, Jason had mentioned, and I want to thank Jason for uh, being my wingman today while Elizabeth is uh, enjoying some time off. I, too, shall someday get some, and uh, it's circled on my calendar, but uh, I'm glad that you're here, uh, and I pray that you'll be blessed uh, by your time here this morning. Um, I hope that uh, you had some time to sort of reflect on uh, the message of Easter, the resurrection, and, uh, and in particular, Elizabeth's call to practice uh, resurrection in your own life since we were last together. Uh, I hope that in your own study and in your own prayer time, and even as you went about your regular everyday walking around stuff, that you were able to catch a glimpse of resurrection somewhere along the way. But for many people, the resurrection can be a stumbling block. It's just not an easy concept uh, to grasp. The idea that, that Jesus is God in the flesh and that He came to save the world, but the world didn't really want Him and, and killed Him. But even that uh, wasn't the end of the story, uh, that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, but He was raised uh, from the dead. Without faith, that just doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. We can't wrap our brain around such an idea. So Pastor Elizabeth's uh, sermon last week was the first in a five-week series that we're, uh, we're doing titled it, This Doesn't Make Sense, in which we're tackling some of the, the more difficult teachings of the gospel and, and of Christ. Some, of, some would say the hard sayings uh, of Jesus. And uh, in my preparation for today, a few weeks ago, I kind of floated an email among some friends and and asked them to kind of think about in their own understanding of the gospel and their own scripture study and where where might they find this place or this saying or this event that that leaves them sort of scratching their their head. Um, Some offered up some of Jesus' parables. Uh, some that you may be uh, familiar with, uh, the parable of the, the vineyard owner where the last person got the same wage as the first person, you know, eight hours uh, ahead. Or the paradoxes of the faith, uh, to lose your life you will find it, or is it in giving that we receive? Uh, one person said, none of it makes any sense. And, uh, and, I, and I tend to agree with that uh, on a lot of days where uh, Christ continues to... to to shape and form me in my own faith and uh, even in those places where it gets uh, a little bit uncomfortable and leaving us with more questions uh, than answers. We can find some comfort in knowing that even those who were the closest to Jesus didn't necessarily always 
get it. They didn't always understand what he was uh, saying. Peter, impetuous Peter, uh, sort of the poster child for misunderstanding. Um, and uh, there was this time when the disciples were uh, on the boat with Jesus and they forgot to bring bread and they were talking about no having no bread. And Jesus says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. What's up with that? That's not getting anybody fed, right? And so they ponder that and they go, was, was he, did he say that because we forgot to bring bread? I don't know what he's talking about. Well, me neither, right? Um, some of the best examples of this disconnect between uh, Jesus and his hearers are in John's gospel. And I, and I love John's gospel, how he elevates this message of, of Jesus to, to a degree that you really have to go slow and, and, and chew on it or marinate in it and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of help you unpack it because on the surface, it just doesn't make any sense. One of my favorites is this conversation that Jesus has with the woman uh, at the well, the Samaritan woman, when, when he says, if you knew who it was that, was, uh, that had asked you for a drink... You would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water. Living water. What a great concept. And she goes, sir, you have no bucket. No bucket. You have no bucket. He's offering living water and, and she just it totally misses it. And I think that is, uh, is true for us. You just, you just got to love that, the reality that Jesus sometimes can speak uh, over our heads. This, uh, throughout the gospel, Jesus speaks of in confusing ways and in parables that don't always make sense. In fact, he told his disciples, I speak in parables so that those who hear won't understand. Well, that's a terrible way to get a message across, <laughs> right? But that's who Jesus is. And so uh, I did my homework. I picked, uh, I picked a, a text that I'm now regretting, but we're going to tackle it anyway because I've already done the work. Uh, so I invite you to stand as I read from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I'll be reading from chapter 9, uh, beginning with verse 14. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? Well, that makes perfect sense. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, then they will fast. And, by the way, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch will pull away from the cloak, and the worst tears, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there you go. Your lesson for the day, I will pronounce the benediction. In Matthew's version of this story, and, and by the way, this is recorded in all three of the synoptics. And uh, in Matthew's version... The question is asked by the disciples of John the Baptist. 
Uh, it's not quite the same in, in Mark and Luke. Um, but they point out the ritual of fasting being observed by uh, the pious, uh, by the scribes, by the Pharisees, by uh, themselves, the followers of, or disciples of John the, the Baptist. And yet Jesus' disciples are not fasting, ever. And so it's, uh, it's creating some tension for them. And as fasting was um, practiced, um, sometimes uh, as an act of prayer, in a spirit of discernment, seeking an answer or a word from God before moving, um, or in grief or mourning, you're fasting. Um, and then also as a sign of repentance. Just repentance of sin that you're aware of. Uh, fasting is a practice that helps with that. And scholars say that it was customary for the Pharisees to fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday. That's what they did. And um, which, is, which sort of gives us a little bit of a clue to where Jesus is going with this conversation. This is what they do. It is religion for them. They practice the art of fasting or the practice of fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, whether they need it or not. And so Jesus has this wonderfully obscure response. Hey, Jesus, uh, why don't your disciples fast like us? Well, the wedding guests cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them. Huh. Yeah, you know, because the day is coming when he won't be with them, and then they'll fast. Ah. Oh, wait, and there's more. No one sews a piece of uh, new fabric on an old garment or puts new wine in old wineskins. Thanks for coming. Glad we had this talk. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all place this at a key spot in their narratives. It's not there by an accident. The writer has control of the narrative and everything is placed in a purpose. It's not a biography and this happened and this happened and this happened. No, they're creating this story and they're weaving it a certain way. And so it's important that we pay attention to it. And all three of them place this event right after some healings by Jesus and his um, proclamation that the kingdom of God has come. And so it's there for a purpose. It is the first sign that there will be some tension between the religious order and the work that Jesus is going to be doing. In the overarching message of the gospel narrative, this exchange hints at the root cause of the tension that will ultimately get him killed. And this is sort of the first shot. Now language of ancient wedding traditions is very common throughout Scripture. Uh, the bride, the bridegroom, a wedding feast, the wedding banquet. Uh, so that in itself was not that unusual. 
And so the, what would happen is the, 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 the wedding week would begin with the bridegroom. The emphasis was more on the bridegroom than the bride in ancient times. And so the bridegroom would, would process over to the home of uh, his betrothed. And he and his friends uh, would, would retrieve the bride. And then they would process over to the groom's house. And that is where the week was spent. And they didn't, after the ceremony, they didn't go away on a honeymoon. They stayed in, their groom, in the groom's house for at least a week as wedding guests would come and offer their blessings and their gifts. And each day there was dancing and there was celebration and there was music and, 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 and there was food and there was wine and it's in this, this context that, that Jesus says it just wouldn't make any sense to, to fast while me, I, the bridegroom, um, am here. Having already proclaimed the fulfillment of Scripture in His presence, in His arrival, in His coming, and the kingdom of God, Jesus was implying that the nearness of God's reign and His presence was a cause for celebration. Like that of a wedding banquet, this was no time to be fasting. And this, of course, made no sense to the Pharisees and the uber-religious. The fasting days are the fasting days. They are prescribed. This is how we do it. This is how our dads did it. It's how our sons will do it. It doesn't matter who's here. But Jesus is sort of cracking the door on this new thing, this impending freedom that observers of ritual will have a hard time embracing. It wasn't a matter of whether or not fasting was right or wrong. It was about the timing. Fasting is not an adequate reflection of God's grace and generosity in the world while Jesus is present. It's why we don't fast during the season of Easter and Advent. We're celebrating that Christ is present in the world, both when He came as a baby and when He was resurrected. So there's a time and a place for everything and in Christ's presence is no time for fasting. And then he continues the message with what at first appears to be have nothing to do with either fasting or the bridegroom. That whole thing with the patch and the wine and the wineskin and the old garment and the new garment. But they both illustrate the same problem. The first time that a garment is washed, the new fabric that had been sewn on as a patch is going to shrink and it's going to pull and it could possibly damage both the old and the new. And the same way with the wine. New wine has to ferment. It expands with time. And so you pour it into an old wineskin that's all stretched out and the wine begins to ferment and expand the wine skin bursts and you lose the wine and both are damaged. Now the common understanding of these passages point to the Mosaic Law and 
the message of grace and mercy that Jesus is delivering. This new thing, if you will. Some have gone so far as to interpret Judaism as the old thing and Christianity as the new thing. And I think we have to be careful with that. Um, Jesus didn't, you know, Jesus said, I didn't come, right, to do away with the, the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is exposing the legalism of the scribes and Pharisees in practicing their faith without mercy and without grace, without compassion. He's challenging their hard-heartedness toward the people. And the conflict continues to escalate around issues of ceremonial hand-washing, Sabbath-keeping, what is considered clean and unclean. And this eventually leads to a blistering assessment by Jesus in which He calls the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites and blind guides. The law itself is not the problem. After all, the law had been around for thousands of years. It was in the keepers of the law. It was the way in which it had been used as a weapon against the people by those who hold power to pervert justice and oppress the people. And the parable speaks to the new thing that Jesus is doing that will begin to put pressure on the old. But at the same time, it's not necessary to throw out the old. The old has to be seen through the eyes of the new. It has to be honored in the light of Christ and Christ's presence in the world. So what is this new wine that Jesus is talking about? Perhaps it's his refusal to condemn the adulterous woman even though the law called for it. Maybe it was the lepers that he healed and sent to the priest for approval. Or it was his willingness to eat with sinners and tax collectors uh, to touch the lepers. To go places where the pious wouldn't go for fear of being contaminated. Maybe it was the trip that he made up to Samaria to welcome the arch enemy into the family. Or how he gave voice to women and children. The new wine is the grace of God poured out for the salvation of the world in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this this ushering in of this new kingdom of God where everyone is invited to the banquet. Even His disciples continued the work that He was doing. Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch who by law was not allowed to be included in the kingdom or attend the temple. Or maybe it was Peter's vision of the sheep 
the sheet being lowered with unclean animals in it. And Jesus said, don't call unclean what I have made clean. The baptism of Cornelius and his whole household into the faith. And then that conversion of Saul became Paul and went straight to the Gentiles, crossing those lines and those barriers that have been set up for centuries. All new wine for the world. God is in the creation business. This is what He does since the beginning of time. Not only making new things, but making all things new again. From the moment of the creation of the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sky and the animals and, and, and plants and men and women, God continues creating and is still creating. See, I am doing a new thing, he spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And we know that in John's revelation at the end of time, he says, I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the old has passed away. Sometimes these new things that God wants to do bump up against our preference for the old. Our comfort, our old understandings, our old patterns of behavior. And this response wasn't exclusive to the ancient days, it's, it's still with us. We struggle with this. It's our struggle too. And, and sometimes God wants to extend this new wine of grace into places that we frankly would rather it not go. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Go the second mile too, Jesus would stay, say. Extend forgiveness, especially when you don't want to. No one is outside the reach of God to be restored by the free gift of God's grace. This new wine that, that we drink and, and are restored into this relationship with God. This is the mission of the church. We've been invited to do this work. Our salvation is not the end of the story. For God so loved the whole world. Whole world. So, so this idea that, that this transactional faith where God takes our sin and gives us eternal life and we get our ticket punched and that's the end of the story, that's not biblical. God works through the lives of the transformed to move the message forward. Someone gave it to you. And now we are charged with the task of continuing the story into the lives of others. And this is what makes a church vital and effective to be mission 
minded. The mission of the church for the transformation of the world. To make disciples. And sometimes we forget that. And we spend time talking about our preferences. And we forget that there are folks out there who may not have ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to that thing that holds the new wine, this, this grace of God, the wine skin, the people of God. By his parable, I don't think that Jesus is encouraging us to throw out the old wineskin. Through Scripture, God speaks of a time when He will write the law not on tablets, but on the hearts of His people to be read by others. Folks know when you have been transformed by the grace of God. You can't hide it. They see it from a mile away. Paul says that when we pass through the waters of baptism, we die in Christ's death, and then we are raised in Christ's life to live the life of Christ in the world. Paul writes in Corinthians, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. It's not our old selves trying to be better. It's not good people trying to be better. It's the Spirit of the living God living through us in new and amazing ways for the salvation of the world. Unlike with Jesus, resurrection for us is not a one-time occurrence. It's an ongoing act, a lifetime, if you will. In fact, I talked to someone this morning uh, who, uh, who said, you know, I'm in my late 60s now and I am still learning more about this Jesus than I ever knew before. That's the trajectory that, that God puts us on at that moment of conversion. It's not a one and done kind of thing. Think about your own faith. How has your faith been shaped by the experiences of your life? Is it the same as when you first claimed it for yourself? Maybe at your confirmation or the day you walked down the aisle to make a public profession of faith for yourself? Is that the faith that you still hold on to? Is that the understanding that you have now, many years later? The, the basic understanding that God is creator and Jesus is the Son of God and, and Jesus' death and resurrection was an act of saving grace for the world? Of course, that's all true. But that alone may not be enough to hold you up when life doesn't go as you had hoped or as you had planned, or as you had expected. The basic understanding of the Christian faith not much ha may not have much to offer when tragedy comes. 
or loss or heartache or disappointment or struggle or suffering. The assurances of eternal life after death may not be enough when you're trying to figure out how to live here, now, and everything is coming down around you. These are the times for which new wine is made. The legalisms of should and shouldn'ts and do's and don'ts aren't much help when all you really need is God's grace. When you just need to hear God say, You are my child, my beloved, and I am with you. Or Christ's promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. Not now. Till the ends of the earth, till the ends of time, I am with you. This is grace that is beyond us. Grace to receive forgiveness where we need it. And grace to extend forgiveness even when we don't feel like it. In fact, that's where we need it the most. is the power of God's grace to be able to extend forgiveness beyond ourselves. That is outside of ourselves. And only by the power of God at work in our lives is even fathomable. Dying to ourself and allowing the grace of God to flow over us in a way that brings new life and through us in a way that brings life to others. This is resurrection. Happy Easter. Let's pray. God, I pray that the words I have offered up would not come back void, but would land where they need to land. God, to recognize your grace at work that even led us to this place on this day, to set aside our own desires and to open ourselves up to the work that you desire to do in us. To be reminded of, of who we are and whose we are. God, to release those things that hold us captive and to claim this freedom of Christ that comes in His resurrection that neither life nor death can separate us from Christ. God, may the power that was at work in Jesus Christ be at work in us, that we might be made new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.